Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. The election is over, or it's kind of over. It's taking some time. I personally assign myself PBS, in part because nobody else wants it, uh, but also because, you know, it's it, it, it's a little tougher to find. Well, the delight last night was Mark Short, the, the aide to Mike Pence, who actually got in there and surely made some PBS watchers upset by talking about how the election deniers were the Democrats in 2000, in 2004, 2016. Love it. Had to tweet it. Joining me now to assess the media and the candidates, we have here Jorge Bonilla, the executive director at MRC Latino, and Newsbusters managing editor Curtis Hauk. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, hey. Hey. So let's start with the the big picture, which is we didn't really get a red wave. We didn't really get a blue wave. We seem to get an incumbent wave, if that's not really a wave. But it's it's ironic to me that we spent so much time with the media in the last few weeks constantly telling us democracy was dying. And what you got wasn't any kind of protest vote. It seemed like it was an extremely boring, nobody gets beat. I mean, there's obviously a few incumbent defeats, but not that many. I mean, especially in the Senate. So, yes, what do we make of this? Did the media succeed in its mission? Uh, I'll go for it. I really just real quick. I think it was a kicking of the can down the road, so to speak, if you want to follow that thread about incumbency. You know, in a lot of states, the key with redistricting is a lot of state legislatures, if there's any sort of collegiality or there's a special master involved that wants to be fair or something like that, uh, they'll want to just protect the incumbents uh, to shore up the incumbents. Kellyanne Conway, I heard, made that point on early in Fox's coverage, really before there were any substantial results, that she just kind of reminded people that there aren't many true, tried and true, swingy districts anymore. And especially right now, because this is the first election under new lines, so people are still kind of, you know, it might take a cycle or two to figure out, because some might move away than expected, because like everything, people get things wrong. Some will move red, some will move blue, some will move towards the center. Um, so we'll kind of figure that out uh, as we go along. Uh, but big picture, yeah, I'll just share that I watched CNN last night to help the night crew. Good. And uh, I was telling you this morning that the Chris Licht effect seemed to have been there. Oh. That up until almost 10 o'clock from about, you know, just before 7 to like 9.45, so like about three hours, was pure what we call horse racing. John, There were really only four people on screen on camera talking it was john king and jake tapper at the magic wall this is a plural because they had one for each part each governor's uh senate house and uh and then uh boris sanchez and casey hunt kind of talking about the raw numbers and then those two plus jake would make projections so it's really just the four of them for almost for three hours uh, before they actually got into any little bit of analysis. Then it would be a quick in, quick out. Uh, And we'll get into some of those. But um, it was interesting. It was an interesting night to say the least. And we could see the opposite of 2020 where uh, things kind of moved away. 
uh, from Republicans. But as more votes come in from Arizona and Nevada, one, what are you guys doing? Uh, two, we could have some surprises. Well, at least uh, we have, uh, you know, now on Wednesday arrived at the point that in good old Wisconsin, I've, we've got uh, Ron Johnson's been reelected. And then in my hometown district, the third district of Wisconsin, uh, flipped to Republicans to Derek Van Orden. Um, the uh, Jorge, what did you see just generally and nationally and Spanishly? <laughs> Thank you for not saying Latin nextly. <laughs> um, by the way, I didn't I didn't see any mentions of Latinx last night. Wow, Latinx vote or anything like that. So already, already, I could say that coverage is substantially improved. <laughs> what we saw early on, uh, of course, the, the first returns that came in were Florida's, and that was one of the first races that was called, uh, and that's largely because, um, as a resident of the Sunshine State. I'm proud to say that we have a superior vote tabulation system uh, to that of most states. Early votes and absentee ballots get counted as they come in. Um, so you, you have early, uh, abs- uh, vote by mail going on for about a month before the election, uh, in person early vote for about two weeks prior. Those get counted as you get them. So when it co- when election day rolls in, all you really have is those last minute absentee ballots that come in because they have to be at the supervisor of election office in your local county by by 7 p.m. by the time the polls close. So on election day, you're mostly counting election day votes. So we know uh, usually very early on uh, when there's a winner. So there were no surprises in that sense. There was no shock. There was no waiting up until the wee hours of the morning for hanging chads. Um, it, the polls showed that there was going to be an annihilation in the state of Florida. And that's exactly what happened. Even if we didn't get uh, the red wave uh, across the entire country, but a red asteroid hit the state of Florida in the name of Ron DeSantis. <laughs> right. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, as, as I was looking throughout the, the, the specter of coverage, one of the things that caught my eye was that around 8 p.m., as soon as the race got called, Former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki put out this tweet saying, listen, we should be careful when we talk about the Hispanic vote. Noted, I'd like to know, first of all, where Jen Psaki gets her subject matter expertise on the Hispanic vote, right? Who made her this authority? But she says, look, I know about the Hispanic vote. I know all about it. There's different kinds of Hispanics all over the country. So Florida's Hispanics are not the rest of the Hispanics. And in Florida, there's a lot of disinformation that guy to the boat. So she she uh, uh, flatulated that tweet out into the ether where, where it sat and, and got rightfully ratioed. Then about a half hour later, <laughs> when ABC is doing uh, their analysis of, of the race, on comes former Univision anchor Maria Elena Salinas, who bounced around after after leaving Univision Went to Discovery, I think. Went to went to CBS, mm-hmm. ends up, and now she's at ABC. Um, she is a founding board member of the Latino Media Network, which we we have affectionately called uh, Radio Soros in in our coverage of of this uh, liberal enterprise. And she basically spouts the same talking points that were put out by Jen Psaki a half hour later. Talking, she said the same exact thing. 
these Florida Hispanics are not the same as in the rest of the nation, and they are subject to, so you should not take that as a reference, and uh, they're subject to disinformation. Within within a half hour, we saw that. I thought, the other thing that was, I believe, was in Jen Psaki's tweet was something about how, yeah, these people don't like socialism. And I, I obviously, I read that and I say, oh, because that's who the Democrats are now. They're the Socialist Workers Party under a, you know, under an old name. Right. But- right. Well, that's that's one thing. Um, and it's also you have to th- think about that as a dog whistle. Anytime that, that a Democrat raises that specter, it's really a dog whistle where they're talking about the victims of communism community that lives in South Florida. You got your Cubans, you got your Venezuelans and your Nicaraguans and also add in your Colombians, because a lot of them. That, that that are here now in Florida left uh, during the 90s with with during the troubles with the FARC, which is a, a Marxist terrorist organization that wanted to seize power in, in Colombia. So that's a dog whistle. But when you look at the numbers, the numbers don't bear it out. Not only did DeSantis win and, and Rubio, not only did they win big in Miami-Dade County, which is the first time in 20 years that that county went red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but they also won Osceola County, which is in the center of the state. I live about two miles from, from the Osceola County line as the bird flies, as the crow flies. And, uh, that's where you have the heavy concentration of the Puerto Rican community. So that, that's not just a victims of communism argument that, that gets negated right then and there. If it was just as Antis won Miami Dade. But did poorly in in Osceola. That's one thing. But DeSantis crushed Osceola County. So you're looking at somebody who made a resonant argument to the breadth and the totality of the Hispanic community. So this whole disinformation argument, it's it's cute. It's it's a crutch. It's an easy dodge, but it's not sustained by facts. And I would just say real quick uh, uh, before you jump in, Tim, that this is. This is yet another election. We're going on, you know, I think 2016 was just such a shock, but consistently we're on our third cycle, 2018, 2020, now 2022, where the media come out and say, both in English and in Hispanic media, that, you know, Hispanic Latinos are victims of disinformation. Yes. You know, it has become a, yeah, it's kind of cute sometimes, but I think it, yeah, has reached dog whistle status. The left well, you, loves to talk about dog whistles all the time. And you're like, this is an actual dog whistle. You're saying that an entire group of people whom you think be, you think belong to you, you think they're stupid, they don't really know what's going on, uh, and that they're just poor victims falling for, you know, I guess some memes on you know, social media and, you know, somebody with, uh, you know, a sensual sounding voice on a radio station. And I'll just say for Osceola, yes, it is uh, 5346 was the official total uh, for DeSantis versus Chris. Well, I was going to say the, the, the obvious joke here is that, yes, the, the left has been complaining about Spanish language misinformation since MRC Latino came around. <laughs> hey. 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 Let's take a little tiny bit of credit yeah. uh, for having some pushback. But yes, as you suggested, Jorge, the Puerto Rican vote, what was it, 55% for DeSantis? Which was that up, is that is uh up from like that's, 32? 
That's a nuclear bomb, up from 32 in 2018. Um, but 10 years ago, when Obama won the state for the second time, he won 83% of the Puerto Rican vote in the state Whoa. of Florida, according to exit polls. So you go from Democrat winning 83% to a Republican winning 55%. I'm not a math major, but that's a pretty substantial swing. Um, but that's huge. That is that is a big deal. He only won five counties in the entire uh, – Chris did. Only five counties in the entire state. Yes. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Palm Beach County flipped. Palm Beach County flipped red. Yeah, Palm Beach County flipped red, uh, 51-49, which, I mean, is just uh, – and Broward was under 60%. Well, this reflects what you found, Curtis, the other day where Tony DeCopel's jetting around Florida and he can't find – <laughs> an actual Floridian who doesn't like Ron DeSantis. I mean, I guess that was an indicator of where we were headed. Right. He he aired a segment about he went down to talk about their COVID response for a separate tri- or for the same trip, but he aired the COVID segment right away. Uh, and and there again, interviewing people, he couldn't find a single person to say DeSantis was wrong on COVID. And then he was like, "Well, I've got a piece coming up for our three meal series and." And we're going to find the same thing. And I was like, no way. I mean, like, sure enough, he goes from Miami to Melbourne to Jacksonville. And he added a fourth stop that somewhere in there that never aired and interviewed multiple dozens of voters and could not find a single person who said that they were going to back Charlie Crist or that they didn't like DeSantis. There was one guy in Miami who said, I'm not going to vote for DeSantis, but I think He's a good guy, and the me- everything the media says about him is wrong, which is, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. So what he had to do then to get a Christ vote, get Christ voters on camera, was go to a Christ get out the vote event, which looked like he had shown up three hours too late, and it was just he interviewed four elderly African American women, two of them were in Christ t-shirts. And then one of them was claiming that DeSantis had stolen freedom, the freedom of the people in Florida. Oh, my God. She's a freedom denier. A freedom denier. No, my joke was, you know, here we are to Chris get out the vote rally. What say you? Oh, I like Ron DeSantis, too. <laughs> <laughs> he apparently even said that he went out to a like a major like road to a street corner at a stop or to some neighborhood at a stop sign with high traffic. And just like ask people to roll down their windows if they were for Chris, and nobody stopped. Wow, I mean, that that that, that is that is uh, kind of in line with with, with what we've seen uh, with these results. Even even in big counties like Orange County, which is which is where I live in, um, which which went blue, but it was only Chris plus six, um, where that's that used to be like a twenty percent county, uh, Orange County. Is, is like a deep or, or was a deep blue county, a blowout county. Uh, that's like a pad the numbers county. But uh, but DeSantis did well here, notwithstanding that. And I just said the House as well, you know, that really between New York and Florida, we'll get into some of the bad. Florida really could arguably, with New York transplants moving to Florida, help save uh, the Republican chances of taking the House, thanks to redistricting. And you know what's funny about redistricting? Florida is one of those states where we don't have an independent commission. Um, the legislature does the redistricting normally. And what happened is that the legislature, uh, because we have we have a constitutional amendment 
that you have to, you know, you can't be too crazy with the gerrymandering. The states, uh, the, the districts have to be contiguous and adhere to county lines and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's some clear guidelines. And the legislature was deemed to have been a little bit too uh, conservative or cautious, I want to say, yeah. in drawing those lines. And DeSantis, he grabbed the pen and he said, no, forget you guys. These are the lines. I'm going to draw them. And and the governor's office basically rammed through these lines, called a special session, got them passed. And that's why we have the 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 shakeup that we have in these congressional races. I think it's 20, uh, 20 GOP seats instead of the normal 16 or 18. I think it's up to 20 now. Uh, that could very well affect the balance of power. Maria uh, Elvira Salazar in South Florida. And of course, this is emblematic of the blowout. But all the polls were showing her to be either tied or within 1% of her of her opponent. And at Tadeo, she ended up winning by 14 points. Mm. That that just goes to show you the, the power and the scope of, of, of what DeSantis did in terms of not just winning the, the governorship by an annihilation of Charlie Chris, who, who Anna Navarro has been calling a corpse all day today. Um, <laughs> But by this redrawing of, of the legislative seats, uh, which, which could very well, um, you know, help push the, the GOP over the top where it was expected that it, they were going to be at 238, 240. Some people were thinking the 250s, uh, you know, if it ends up being 221, 222, you better thank DeSantis. Yeah, Florida Florida did its job, you know. Uh I just think, yeah, the that Maria Salazar got fifty seven percent, Carlos Jimenez got sixty four percent, and is you know ever uh, South Florida uh, Keys district, which is incredible. Uh, you know, uh, Jose Diaz Blart's brother Mario got seventy one percent. I mean, that's just just remarkable uh, numbers there in South Florida, and so. And you have to say that, yes, once they unpacked Al Lawson's district, black district, along the Georgia-Florida line, um, they held firmly up there, too. We should also point out Rebecca Jones. Poor Rebecca Jones. The fake uh, COVID conspiracy theorist that a lot of people know. Our fun, Nick Fonacaro has written a lot about her. Uh, Fredo Cuomo was very interested in her. Uh, she, she got 32%. All that Rebecca. free press, and she only got 32%. Yeah, she got all that press. Probably received, got probably raised a bunch of money, well, and got thirty two percent. In she can go the back to Maryland seat. now, and uh, she can go back to Maryland. She can go back to Maryland now, where she where she ran as an independent before coming to Florida. Um, one interesting race, and you guys are going to see this name mentioned a lot uh, going forward is Maxwell Frost. Yes, mm. he is the gun control activist that won in the tenth district which is Val Demings' former seat. Uh, Val Demings, of course, got smoked by, by Senator Rubio. Uh, she, was, she was built as, as this, this great hope for, for the Senate. Uh, I'd lived here for, having lived here for a long time, I'd seen her run before, and I'd seen her debate, and I was like, man, you know, if, if she'd have stayed in the House, she was building up this reputation. She had been an impeachment manager. She... Um, as as a as a, an African American woman of stature, in a district that was drawn Democrat plus twenty nine, she could have easily stayed there. She could have been there for life. 
she could have had a shot at house leadership. Um, you know, go up through the ranks, maybe be speaker or majority leader or something like that. And that would have been significant uh, in a future Democrat Congress. But instead, she got seduced to run to the Senate or to run for the Senate. And that ended up being an act of criminal malpractice. Well, I, I, mm. I think that the look, there's always the temptation to be, uh, you know, uh, we have black Republicans in the Senate. We might have Herschel Walker in the Senate. Uh, you know, there's always that temptation that they want to say, you know, we need a woman of color in the Senate, sort of replace Kamala Harris. Uh, you know, I'm sure that that was part of it was, you know, people basically told her or the party itself wants to be diverse. So that's that's what happens. Let's shift to Curtis's state of Pennsylvania, where obviously we saw a dramatic media bias on behalf of John Fetterman. And uh, and surprise, surprise, uh, I'm, this is probably going to be the race that's that's disappointing for Republicans, but also it's one of those that it's like, well, now it will be fascinating to see how John Fetterman recovers and whether, you know, by the time he, he seems to claim that he'll be, you know, he'll be just terrific by January. <laughs> Right. Or are they going to have to wheel in a teleprompter to the Senate floor to change all the rules? I don't that's, know. Because that's currently against the rules, by the way, to be able to have that sort of crutch uh, visual aid like that to help you. Usually you have visual aids in the form of poster boards to read from while you're giving speeches. Uh, so obviously they would need a live teleprompter for Fetterman. Um, but... You know, uh, you had liberal, I think, Ben Dreyfus after polls closed being like, now that polls are closed, he, we should have gotten him, gotten him to step down. <laughs> you know, I can what say we, it what now. we did is terrible, you know, and they're like, oh, OK, sure. But really, I think the problem in in my home state was Doug Mastriano dr- pulling the ticket down. You know, Josh Shapiro is going to get about 60 or a 56%, and he's going to pull in about 42%. Um, you know, in in a state with three house toss-ups, uh, two in Northeast PA, uh, one, you know, Matt Cartwright, a Pelosi uh, flak lieutenant uh, ally and who had been repeatedly winning re-election in an R plus three plus four seat, uh went up against Jim Bognit for I believe the second or third time. And yet again, it was Lucy with the football. Uh, he won by two points. And with Mastriano performing as poorly as he did, uh, raising barely any money, not really having public events. Uh, they didn't allow press that didn't really allow press cameras in. Um, he really just ran the kind of campaign you would see for somebody running in the city of Baltimore against Kuise and Fume, <laughs> you know, like that was really what he was doing or like he was running for governor of, you know, Rhode Island as a Republican. That was kind of the level of effort that we saw. And by because of that, it really drove down yeah, that seat plus one in the Allentown Bethlehem area uh, that was ripe, you know, Susan Wild, uh, who you know, is definitely not the moderate that everyone says she is. Oh, uh, like Spanberger. Yeah, like Spanberger, like Mark Warner, Tim Kaine. I mean, the list goes on and on. Chris Coons. Um, and then also in the old Connor Lamb seat in the 17th out in Western PA, the Pittsburgh suburbs. Um, 
Jeremy Schaefer lost by five points uh, to Chris Deluzio. And, and once again, so those are three seats. Uh, Republicans were definitely expected to compete in at least two of them. Uh, and so that's a that was a huge uh, blow for Republicans uh, because Mastriano didn't have that part was not the top of the ticket that could pull people along. And because you had the problem with Dr. Oz, I mean, let's face it, voters don't like when somebody just kind of picks up and throws themselves down in another state uh, and says, oh, I'm one of you. I'm going to go into a Redner's, which is like a working class grocery store and talk about crudite during the primary. I mean, (laughs) that, that was such... A death nail to his campaign even though he did win because of the Trump endorsement Trump didn't put any money really give him an oomph other than a few campaign rallies where he just talked about himself the whole time uh, and that was such a huge pull because we we saw how candidates matter at the top of the ticket because Lee Zeldin didn't win in New York Lee Zeldin's going to lose by probably five or six points but because of that that you had a strong candidate at the top of the ticket who was actually trying you're going to pick up, you know, four seats in the House. So right. New York and Florida, you know, the biggest winners of the night, Jorge, I would say are Ron DeSantis and Lee Zeldin on the Republican side. Probably. Um, in addition to their own margins, you know, Zeldin made it a lot closer. CNN was saying it's a blowout. Uh, Cuomo won by 24 points last time. So his Hochul winning by five is not a blowout. So... Uh, by any stretch, but because of that, he ran up huge margins in upstate New York and on Long Island. Long I- they flipped two seats on Long Island, uh, in addition to the two they already had, which is just remarkable. Kathleen Rice and Tom Swozy both left, uh, and they're going to control Long Island, which, I mean, is something to behold, uh, to, despite the fact that New York has just hemorrhaged people, that the people that are left... Uh, are still there, and there's still one out there, uh, John Cato, uh, just below uh, Syracuse, I believe. Uh, right. His, light, his successor, Brandon F- Williams, is going to hold on there, too, which is fascinating as well because uh, he was it was a tailor-made district for him, and once you kind of pull that person out, you don't really know what's going to happen. So with Pennsylvania, it was just a huge disappointment. Uh, you never really had the sense of feeling like you were ahead because when the tally came out it the first set of results were allegheny county where there's pittsburgh and they reported 22 percent right off the bat so fetterman started with like you know 85 percent of the vote and you're like okay well <laughs> fetterman's from western pa right hmm? fetterman's from western PA. yeah fetterman is from western pa we should point i mean uh, he may have grown up in another state but like just as an adult like his adult life he's actually lived in you know, and he was lieutenant governor, obviously. And before that, he was a mayor of a Pittsburgh suburb. So, whereas Dr. Oz's claim was, well, I did. I went to med school at Penn. And one of my kids lives in one of the collar counties. OK, that's harsh. OK, OK. You know, I mean, I know that just for my family, that was a struggle for them in the primary. Uh, McCormick also had the residency problem. He spent a lot of his life in Connecticut, but he was actually born and raised in Pennsylvania. His family ran a Christmas tree farm uh, out in Western PA. Well, it's a, definitely a better story. Definitely a better story uh, from Christmas tree farming family to venture capitalist 
that's yeah. definitely a better story. Uh, and he could have self-funded his campaign as well, uh, very similarly to Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. All right, let me raise this while we're on Pennsylvania, and that is you watched a pile of CNN last night. I watched yeah. a bunch of, of PBS. And when they discussed this race, or any race, I mean, you know, they're not going to sit there and say, Josh Shapiro spent a ton of cash promoting Mastriano. Right. I mean, did they did they did that ever get pointed out on CNN? No, it did not. <laughs> and, and and that was another theme that we had a huge issue with. Um one of my stories that I did last night was CNN after 3 hours of horse race spent time hailing uh, Maura Healy winning in Massachusetts and Wes Moore winning in Maryland. Apparently, you know, Wes Moore, the first black governor in Maryland, only the fourth ever and Healy, the first lesbian governor in American history. Okay. Um, and, that, and they didn't mention that. Chris Wallace, you know, Dana Bash and Abby Phillip made no mention of that. It's so historic. And they were up against extreme right candidates. Well, why was that? Yeah. Why was that? Yeah. Because you guys spent money to inject in this. And I would just say that one of the good guys, in, uh, Peter Meyer, lost uh, his primary to John Gibbs. And because of because Democrats that was definitely the one house race where they really targeted. And sure enough, yep. uh, he lost by 13 points. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Dan Cox and Marin lost by a ton. Now, I'm going to guess, Curtis, that one of the reasons CNN was excited about Massachusetts and Maryland was, yes, Larry Hogan had been there two terms, I think. Charlie Baker had been there two terms yep. at least. And... Democrats in Democrat states hate having Republican governors, even though both of these would be seen by national Republicans as rhinos. Right. This goes to the media narrative. I mean, Jorge sees this, too, uh, with former Republicans, Cardenas, Navarro, a few right. others come to mind, where they're useful when when the media wants them. They're useful to push a certain narrative. Uh, but other times, yes, when it comes to actually voting for them, oh, no, no, no. They're extreme. They're terrible. And you're like, uh, what? Let me yeah. throw this one at you. This is the only good Republicans, a former Republican. Yeah. Well, or, or Jolly, yeah. Or a, or a dead one. Or a useful Republican like Cheney and Kinzinger. Uh, they were useful until they were defeated. And then they tried to be useful again by campaigning with Democrats at the end. Yeah, which. Uh, on Wednesday, CBS Morning, Scott McFarlane insisted that Liz Cheney endorsing Allison Spanberger in the D.C. suburbs and Richmond suburbs made a big difference against Leslie Vega. Well, <laughs> I will sure. I will tell you this. You know, I live in in, in Fauquier County in Warrenton, Virginia, and of course, it's the D.C. media market. We got hammered. Abigail Spanberger. She had so many ads, uh, so many ads with Denver Riggleman, who worked for the January 6th committee after he was bumped off in a primary. Um, and so uh, Denver Riggleman, I think, would be seen as a much more significant endorsee other than Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney didn't make an ad for her. I don't think Liz Cheney appeared with her. Do you remember? No, she did it with less than a week before Election Day. Okay. All right. So. But yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where you're... You're really overemphasizing something, but yes, for conservatives in Virginia, that was that was kind of a heartbreaker because uh, that would have been a stunner 
that Abigail Spanberger would lose. And and just the fraudulent nature of her ads where she talked about how bipartisan she was. And of course, uh, obviously, the, the Vega campaign was constantly putting out ads saying she voted with Pelosi 100% of the time. Right. She voted with Pelosi 100% of the right. time. Right. And her whole thing about stock trades, banning members of Congress from trading stocks that she worked on with Chip Roy, a great congressman, hasn't really gotten much attention because, yeah. you know, Nancy Pelosi currently controls the floor and you know that is something she doesn't want to touch oh they'd be that would actually be interesting if they if mccarthy's like hey let's move this bill yeah if allison spanberger's yeah. like oh no thanks never mind the um no i was thinking this this would be kind of the scenario now so we're talking about how ron DeSantis. everybody's going to talk about his presidential timber and then but let's ask this question if Josh Shapiro wins by this margin in Pennsylvania. Is anybody going to suggest if Biden's failing, we could have our first Jewish president? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Shapiro. Well, you kind of need Shapiro around to a point. Uh, God forbid if, if Fetterman's health should lag, you need Shapiro in place so he can appoint Giselle uh, to serve out the remainder of Fetterman's term. Yep. If God forbid anything should happen to him, I think uh, Tim and, and Curtis that there are several other Democrat governors that have dibs on. I saw this whole scenario. There was there were people kind of wargaming this out, like if, if there was a Republican blowout in the midterms, and Biden announced that he wasn't going to seek a second term, uh, and and Kamala got dispatched somewhere else, then who could he put? As uh, who could he install as his vice, like a whole house of cards scenario? Uh, who could be the vice president? And there was talk about Gavin Newsom stepping into that role. Um, Gretchen Jared Polis out of Colorado might have uh, a claim as probably a more successful governor than uh, than Newsom, and at least on the surface has the appearance of being more moderate, although he isn't. Um, and then within the administration, you've got Pete Buttigieg who. They're 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 still trying to make into a thing into a presidential thing. So I I don't know that Shapiro would have that inside track. That's just my my thought. Well, and then one other thing, Jorge, I should point out. A lot of folks may not know. I just it's because I again being in Pennsylvania, I hear this all the time. He, the governor of Pennsylvania appoints the secretary of state who runs elections. Right. So that is also another important piece of the puzzle about keeping Shapiro in place. They've also talked about Gretchen Whitmer and Gavin Newsom, which is great because these are all like middle-aged white people. Uh, and the party of anti-racism would run a bunch of white people. And and Boot Edge Edge, you know, obviously that is the pick of Northern Virginia. He is the epitome of Northern Virginia. Well, I mean, at Maryland. least you would have, if you would have Jewish or gay, you would have some modifier on white male. You wouldn't be able to complete Oh, an entire row of the diversity bingo card, but you could get a few spaces across. You get, I mean, look, you get Buttigieg in there. He's he's the apex minority. Um, like like they, the, the LGBTQQIAAPP sit at the highest totem of of the minority totem pole. So you get him in there. It doesn't matter who you pair with him. It doesn't matter at all. I've he, been he meaning. To, I've been meaning to watch. Buddha judge uh, did an interview in a car with Drew Barrymore that aired yesterday. Oh, jeez! We've been meaning to watch to see what Drew Barrymore had to say to Buddha Judge. Uh, well, was it an electric car? 
<laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Well, the other thing you bring up, Paulus Jorge, which is, and this is something that I don't, the media don't want to touch because the one area where Paulus hasn't been ultra progressive was he kind of saw what DeSantis and Kemp were doing with COVID reopenings and yes. was like, well, I want some of that. Right. Uh, that he was a lot later, but he reached a certain point earlier than most Democrats and said, all right, guys, this has been enough, especially, you know, Colorado, you know, they rely on their, I mean, not as heavily as Florida, but they are reliant heavily on tourism. Uh, cause a lot of people come to visit Colorado, even just to buy weed or something. 420 tourism, baby. Yeah, exactly. So Paula saw that and realized that's not good, but because that's the one thing where he's not a moderate, uh, where he is a moderate, the media don't really want to talk about that because COVID uh, really has been one of their golden calves over the last couple of years. And we see that governors, Republican governors that did well, were most maligned by the media on COVID. DeSantis, Kemp, Kim Reynolds, she won by, I think, 15 uh, as well. So I think that's a positive takeaway for uh Republicans going forward that the media definitely lost on the COVID issue. Well, we certainly know that, uh, yeah, that uh, that they were not going to focus on the Democrat governor of Colorado killing people. Because, I mean, let's remember, this is the way the media treated this. Uh, and not just the news media, but also influential sites like The Atlantic were suggesting that basically Georgia was going to have a holocaust of some sort. Didn't they say experiment in eugenics or something yes, like that? Eugenics. <laughs> I'm like, what are you guys like 1920s, like Democrats in Wisconsin or something like that? Hey, it's <laughs> not well. Let's not knock the Badger State. I am the only person not wearing a hat today. Jorge told me to wear my cheese head, but uh, that you know, it might obstruct people's view. Yeah. In the spirit of Rojo uh, winning re-election. Yeah. Well, I mean that. It, you remember in 2016 that people basically thought that race was over. I mean, they, they, we spent the fall of 2016 suggesting there was no way he was going to come back. It was nice to have him. Yeah, bye. And it, I mean, it was almost forgotten because that was assumed. So, all right, last last item, Georgia runoff. Now, now we seem to have a Georgia runoff. How oh. bad is the media going to behave? Uh, well... You know, I'll just really quickly just say a look back to what we did uh, or Rich Noise did when it came to our study, looking at the midterms coverage. Herschel Walker had 89% negative coverage. Uh, we can only think that's going to accelerate. Uh, the other wild card is if Donald Trump announces next week like he intends to for president 2024, it's going to be a referendum on Trump. Like him or hate him, that's Trump is going to dominate that race. Voters will decide through that lens. Uh, we'll see. And then the final point I would say is that you want to make sure to see how much Brian Kemp gets involved because the media will be salivating at that chance. I think they already are really excited about the prospect of a runoff. Jorge, I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if in the future we'll see Derek Jeter run for office, but. Uh I don't think you'd be, vote for him regardless of what his positions were. You might be tempted. My my fandom has its limits. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it does have its limits. But I'll, I'll tell you this about Where would he run? Uh, would he run in New York? Would he run in Michigan? Would he run in 
he, he there's no base for him to run in Florida. Uh, so I don't know where he'd run. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you this about about the runoff, the Georgia runoff. I'm kind of dreading it. Yeah. Um, I'm dreading the 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 circus like atmosphere in which it is going to devolve. The only the highlight, the only good thing about this is that it is in December and not January. Right. So we we won't have uh, a, 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 an election dragging through the holiday season. Right. Um, so that's probably the only good thing to come out of this. But I do think uh, that I also believe that that Trump's announcement or non-announcement is going to be a factor in how this election's litigated. Um, Trump didn't do all that well in 2020. So if, if, if he announces how will that help Herschel Walker or not, that's something to look at. The media will certainly make it about Trump no matter what. Right. So his his announcement would would only bolster that narrative and it would preclude perhaps Governor Kemp from jumping in and helping Herschel Walker as much as he'd like. If he got if he got Trump doing all kinds of rallies in Georgia and talking about rigged elections and talking about that's 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 a nightmare scenario. And it's probably one that uh, it's going to be pretty sexy for for cable news media. Uh so I'm, it's not something that I am particularly looking forward to. Well, especially, yes, if it is the one of two likely scenarios where we're going into it and it's 50-50 and the winner gets the Senate. Or if Democrats are already at 50, they can get to 51. The media will love that as well. And then the second point I'll say is that takes the attention away from a lot of the great conservative reporting that's been done about Warnock. I mean, a lot of people talked about you know things his wife has said his wife being his ex-wife being scared of him running he ran over her uh foot with his car uh the apartments at yeah Ebenezer the eviction Church. stuff the free beacon's been doing a phenomenal work andrew kerr and alana goodman uh how he claimed that they uh, they've never evicted anybody when that's what they've been doing uh they actually went to uh and got sources from the building uh, where these apartments are that they help low income, uh, you know, parishioners or just, uh, you know, anybody that needs a place to live. Uh, it's pretty much a third world country status, the plumbing, the ceiling mold. You know, I mean, you name it, all the problems you could find in an apartment complex has been there. And you would think if Herschel Walker was a pastor and his church were do, you know, doing this, oh. you know, uh, you know, Cynthia McFadden from NBC News or, you know, any investigative correspondent at any of our five networks would be down there uh, showing this. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I was going, Curtis, was you could look at the you could look at this extended special election as an opportunity for the news media to catch up on some of the stories about Warnock that they have failed to do. Yeah, of and, which there are many. And and. <laughs> Um, um, I would just conclude with the thought that we've been expressing here, which is Herschel Walker is kind of the Todd Aiken of this cycle. You know, in 2012, they did 100 minutes, the network shows, on Todd Aiken's comments about abortion and rape. In this case, it's been two anonymous women claiming that Herschel Walker paid for their abortions. He said this was utterly false. Um, but they all loved it and, and reveled in it anyway. So I suppose the dangerous thing to say is they're going to be looking for woman number three, anonymous woman number three, 
with a special election period. Whatever there is. The fetus we, eruption. What, what's that? A fetus eruption. Oh, well, <laughs> I, you know, in my in my uncharitable moments, I get upset when all of these people last night come on and start talking about access to abortion care. I'm like, well, you're basically talking about killing babies. But anyway, when you want to come and see how it happens in the next couple weeks, of course, you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks, guys. <laughs>